Okay, I'd like to welcome you back to Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery, Common Issues and Interventions. So in the first two segments, we talked about um, what co-occurring issues are and the fact that um, a lot of people who have addictions, that addiction actually causes uh, brain changes, which can impact mood and a variety of other things. We also talked about the fact that some people, despite the addiction, had anxiety or depression or develop anxiety or depression irrespective of the addictions but we need to treat both Um, we need to address both and we need to address them at the same time because if we address the addiction but we don't address what's making them unhappy then they're going to want to do something about the pain if we address what's making them unhappy but don't address the addiction then the brain changes that result from the addictive behaviors are going to keep them more unhappy and make their efforts over here a lot less effective. We also talked about the fact that it's important to develop self-esteem because if you don't feel like you're worthy of love, if you don't feel like you're worthy of happiness, you're not going to be really motivated to continue to do all of this hard work. It's going to be hard to feel like you're working towards a goal that you deserve. And then we talked about anxiety and depression, specifically addressing some of the really basic concepts of hopelessness, helplessness, and apathy. In order to start feeling better, you need to feel like there's hope that if you do the next right thing, that you're going to start feeling better. In order to start feeling better, you need to believe that There are things you can do. You're not helpless. You do have the power to change certain things. Now, you can't change everything. We we don't have the ability. We don't have control to change everything. But figuring out what you can change will go a long way to helping you figure out how to most effectively use your energy. Do you want to change things you can, or do you want to use that energy trying to move the immovable? It's kind of like using your shoulder to try to move your house 10 feet to the left. It's not going to happen. And then apathy comes down to feeling like you've kind of tried it before and you failed before, so what's the point? And addressing all those issues, you know, fear of failure, but also I failed before, so how... Why should I expect now to be any different? Well, we need to figure out why you expect now to be any different, and there are reasons. You're different. There are, you're trying different techniques. You can look for different solutions. You know, let's figure out what you need to do differently in order to learn from what didn't work in the past. In this section, we're going to move on to emotional dysregulation and interventions. And basically, emotional dysregulation means when somebody gets upset, they go from zero to 200 in like 1.2 seconds. There's no middle ground. There's no cruising speed. It's either nothing or full bore. Um, We'll talk about interpersonal difficulties because when you're depressed, when you're apathetic, when you're anxious all the time, when you've got an addiction or when you are just um, not feeling happy, a lot of times that has negative effects on your relationships. And your relationships can be causing some of that stuff. So we want to look at, you know, what's going on there, and what you can start doing to evaluate your relationships and maybe start building healthier ones. And then we'll finish up by creating a resiliency narrative. That means starting to write this chapter of your life 
which is, you know, the last chapter was the unhappy chapter. This chapter is sort of the resolution, how you're going to take that unhappy chapter and tie it up in a bow and make it into the ending that you want. In emotional dysregulation, people have an inability to tolerate or handle any more stress. Now, there are a whole bunch of reasons for that, and that is beyond the scope of this podcast. But what I want you to realize is people who go from zero to 200, it doesn't mean that they're trying to be drama queens or drama kings. It may mean that they are up to here. They are like a pressure cooker that the top is about to blow off, and any more stress that comes their way is like turning up the heat, and you can expect there's going to be an explosion. So they don't have the capacity to handle anything else. So what do we do? In order to keep that top from blowing off, prevent any stressors you can eliminate. And sometimes if you've had an especially stressful week, month, six months, you may need to step up to people and go, I need some assistance here because I'm worn down. So figure out what stressors you can eliminate and how. You know, do you need to cook dinner every night or can you two nights a week, bring home takeout? Um, do you need to, you know, drive to work every day? Or can you telecommute three days a week? Whatever your stressors are, figure out if there are things that you can do to either eliminate them or make them less stressful. Identify people who can help. Maybe people who can, you know, maybe your significant other can pay the bills so you don't have to focus on that. Maybe your neighbor who has kids at the same school, can pick up your kids so you don't have to go sit in that god-awful pickup line. Um, any other stressors that you have, try to figure out, can you delegate some of them and have other people help you out? Because you'll find that most of the time, if you're asking people to help you out so you can be happier and healthier and more, you know, a better friend to them, then they're probably going, it's a win-win. They're helping you out so they can have their friend back that, you know, that they once knew. Identify what the current stressors are you're dealing with and put each on an index card. Um, and as days go by, other things will come up, add more cards to the pile. And what I have people do is just sit down and they create piles, you know, three or four. There's the have to be done urgent. There's the... Um, not urgent but need to be done and then there's the would like to get to and then you prioritize them by stressfulness so i have people fill out you know all the different stressors that they've got going on and put them into those three piles the urgent ones you got to figure out how to do the ones that need to be done prioritize those based on stressfulness if they're they don't need to be done urgently like paying the paying the electric bill you know Maybe you've got to do laundry. Well, that can, if you find that extremely stressful, maybe that can wait until this weekend and you can go grocery shopping today. So prioritize them. I encourage people to try to address one to three each week. And there are some stressors that come up every single week. So my challenge to you is to figure out how you can make whatever that is less stressful on a regular basis. I used to do laundry like every time there was a laundry basket full of clothes in the laundry room, and I found I was doing laundry every single day, and that got exhausting for me because that's not my favorite thing to do. Now I have one day of the week that I do laundry, and everybody in the family knows that if their clothes are not in the laundry room, they're not getting washed. I'm not going to go around 
and search people's bathrooms and bedrooms to try to find clothing. And that helped with my stress level with regard to laundry. Um, so figure out how to start handling things. But don't, don't think you've got to handle all of them today. As you start whittling down that pile, you'll see progress and it'll help you feel more empowered and relaxed. Other things you can do. Identify four things you can do when you get stressed out or angry. You can practice the pause, which means wait until that emotional rush is gone so you can think a little bit more clearly. Because sometimes when things happen, you're just like, oh, I know that didn't just happen. And your automatic response is usually something that's not helpful in the long run. So practice the pause. Take a deep breath, whatever you want to say. So how can you get yourself to stop? Between the time that you get upset and you choose a reaction, how can you get yourself to stop and think, what is the best choice of action here? Uh, some people go on a walk. Some people take deep breaths. you got to figure out what works for you. Distract, don't react. Sometimes crappy things happen, and in order to practice the pause, you need to just distract yourself. Um, maybe that means going out on a walk. Maybe that means putting on music. Uh, how can you help? distract yourself in a healthy way you can improve the moment what can you do if something happens that makes you feel unhappy what can you do to improve the next moment so maybe put on a happy uh, a, a funny cat video or a comedian or whatever it is that's an opposite emotion you know, you're not going to feel super happy but generally you can't feel miserable and somewhat happy at the same time so it, it's kind of like creating a warm bath. You have this anger and anxiety that's really, really hot. So if you add a little bit of cool water to it, it makes it a little bit more tolerable. And you can turn your attention. And this is another way to help you distract whatever you want to say. But turning your attention means picking something in the room to focus on and identif just thinking about all the characteristics of it, what it feels like, what it smells like, what it sounds like. Or... You can identify four things that you see, three things that you hear, two things that you smell, and one thing that you can feel. So that brings your attention right to the present moment. So you're focusing on you in the present moment and not whatever it was out there that got you upset. Once you've kind of gotten past that moment where you're fueled more by adrenaline than by wisdom, you can move on to problem-solving skills. And ask yourself, how can you create a win-win? Because most of the time, people are a lot more willing to help if they can see how there's a benefit for them. So you know, if you would call when you were going to be late, it would make me feel a lot less stressed. And, you know, I think we would have a more pleasant evening would be something somebody could say uh, to create a win-win situation. Or if you would give me a heads up that a project is coming down the pipe that I'm going to have to focus on and work overtime that would help me a lot because then I could plan my family's activities so I could be here and be present without being stressed out about who's handling my kids. You know, that might be something you could say to your boss. But creating your win-win, I need you to do this, and this is why, and this is how it benefits you. Brainstorming. Sometimes you just got to sit down with a, a dry erase board or a pencil and paper and figure out all the different ways you could solve this particular problem. Because the first one that comes to your head m might not be the best one. So just sit down and start brainstorming to figure out the best tactic.
And identify the parts that are in your control. You know, with the example that I gave with the boss, you know, you can't control projects that the boss gives you necessarily. Um, you know, where I used to work, my boss used to bring me grants as they would come out. I couldn't control when SAMHSA or the NIH released grants. You know, they're a government agency. They're going to do what they want. What I could control was being able to arrange my life so when those grants came down, I was able to be available to work on them like I was expected to. So those are some ways to start handling emotional dysregulation so you can deal with people better. Because a lot of times emotional dysregulation is caused by people not doing what you want them to do. And unfortunately, we can't control other people. We can ask them. We can create win-wins. We can present options. But we can't always control the situation. Um, when you have emotional dysregulation or unhappy feelings, Sometimes there are problems in your relationships. So we want to look at, you know, are your relationships causing your distress or is your distress hurting your relationships or both? So what have your relationships been like? You know, let's look at your family of origin relationships. Let's look at, you know, your significant other relationships. Are there any patterns that we see? What do you think a healthy relationship looks like? Because there's a whole lot that goes into a healthy relationship and what's healthy and I use that term kind of loosely, what one person deems as healthy and workable may be different than what someone else deems as healthy and workable. So you need to know what you need in a relationship that will be fulfilling and healthy for you. You want to look at what caused prior relationships to end. So are there abandonment issues that come up? Is there jealousy, envy? Do they grow apart? Do you tend to get in relationships with people who are unable to commit? You know, are there themes or did they just run their course? Um, and what can be learned from your past relationships? I firmly believe that we can learn something about ourselves and about what we're supposed to do in the next relationship from every prior relationship. And we need to look back over it and say, where were my teachable moments there? And finally, what do you need in a best friend and why when we're talking about relationships it could be significant others it could be family it could be a best friend or it could even be your relationship with yourself because you need to be your own best friend if you don't like yourself why do you think anybody else would like you um, but if you like yourself then you can you present this air of i'm all that in a bag of chips and i like me and people are going to go hmm, that person's kind of interesting what do they bring to the table because you're communicating you're projecting to others that you've got things to offer you know you may not you're not projecting that you're the best thing that's walked since sliced bread but you're projecting that you're a good person so we want to say what do you need in a best friend you know is listening important is somebody to go to the gym with important what's important and once you've figured out what those things are which of those characteristics do you bring to the table? So if you're expecting somebody to be loyal, do you bring loyalty? If you're expecting somebody to have these interests, well, we're going to assume you have those interests too. Um, and which things are you okay being different on? One metaphor that I use for relationships is the cookie metaphor. And this always makes me hungry. But sugar cookies in and of themselves are a great dessert. Love sugar cookies. Chocolate chips, in and of themselves, awesome dessert. 
love chocolate chips. Both of them can stand alone and be eaten by themselves. It's not like flour. You know, you're not going to take, take a handful of flour and pop it in your mouth because it's not appealing. So what you want in a relationship is you want one person to be the sugar cookie and one person to be the chocolate chips. So independently, you can stand alone and you are awesome people. You're not trying to complete each other. But when you put the two of them together, you get something that's even more awesome that can also stand alone, which is a chocolate chip cookie. So figure out, are you more like a chocolate chips or are you more like flour? And if you're more like flour, then we need to figure out what needs to change so you're not looking for somebody else to complete you, but you're looking for somebody else to complement you. Sometimes thought, things that we do to help you change your thoughts, things that we do to help you improve your nutrition and your exercise and all that, just fall short. And for whatever reason, and there, you know, there's a whole bunch of those. There are medications that can help people. People don't need to be on medications always for long periods of time. Some do. Some people need a short course of medications. It's just, it's up to you and your doctor and what you really need. There are medications to help with mood issues like depression and anxiety. There are medications to help with pain. And there are non-narcotic medications that are available like muscle relaxants and gabapentin as opposed to something that could be more addictive like um, uh, Oxycontin or something like that. So again, you know, sometimes it's going to be an opiate painkiller that you need for whatever reason. And that's, again, between you and your doctor. But know what your options are. And if you're dealing with addiction issues, there are medications out there that can help with cravings. Um, antagonist medications are like... Um, they're medications you take, and if you use that drug, you will get sick, um, or they will keep you from getting any benefits from them whatsoever. So those medications are out there. It kind of takes the zip out of it. If you take a drug and you're expecting to feel a certain way and you feel nothing, you're like, that was useless. Um, partial agonist medications, on the other hand, have what's called a ceiling effect, and they give you a little bit of that feeling without giving you the full bore um, feeling of, of the drug, which helps with some of the um, detoxification symptoms and some of the cravings. Those are the two most common that we see. We see some full agonist medications like methadone, but what I would suggest is talking with your doctor about, you know, what medications would be best to help you in the short term or in the long term. But, you know, like I said, a lot of people can benefit from a short-term course to help them start feeling better and have the energy to do the next right thing and work their program. But a lot of times they're able to stop taking those medications once their brain and body kind of all balances out and get health, gets healthy again. And like I said, you want to take all this stuff we've been talking about and start from the very beginning when you start trying to change, when you start trying to become happy, you're writing the next chapter in your book, in your life history. And this is your resiliency narrative. This is where you're going to take whatever the tr trauma and tragedy was from the last few chapters, and you're going to turn it into the resolution that you want. Some things that you could ask yourself about what's happened and where you're going. What have you discovered about yourself um, and discovered in your experiences so far? You know, the stuff that you've gone through, what have you learned from it? 
What have you found out about yourself, your strength, your perseverance, your ability to um, do things that you never thought you would have the courage to do? What keeps you going through the struggle? Because it hasn't been easy. So what kept you going? What gave you hope to get here? How can you use your experiences to help you move towards your goals? And some people look at me kind of crazy when I say that. And they're like, why would I want to use all that drama and tragedy? How can that help me become happier? And my response is usually, well, look at how strong you've become. Look at how resilient you've become from surviving that. Look at how much more compassion you've developed from going through that. So how can that help you become a better friend, more loyal, whatever it is that you want to be? And finally, if you knew someone who was going through this, what advice would you give them? So if you're writing a, you know, prescriptive chapter at the end, you know, if this sounds like your life, this is what you need to do. Um, write your own chapter. Start figuring out what that looks like. What do you think your next step is? People with addictions should be expected to have mood issues, whether because of the addictive behaviors or because of the fallout from the addiction, there's probably going to be some guilt, grief, anxiety, anger, stuff that needs to be dealt with. Addiction isn't diagnosed until there are multiple problems which can cause the mood issue. So we need to expect there's going to be co-occurring stuff. We're not just dealing with addiction and keeping somebody from using. We've got to figure out why they are triggered to use and deal with that in addition to the using behavior itself. There are common themes that can be identified and addressed in early recovery for just about anybody, even if you don't have an addiction, if it's just, just anxiety or depression. Enhance self-esteem. Increase your sense of personal power, that there is hope that if you do certain things, that you do have the power to change your situation and be happy again. And start creating your resiliency narrative. Start writing it down and becoming the author of your life henceforth and forevermore. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on any of your podcast apps. Join our Facebook group at docsnipes.com slash Facebook. And you can find additional resources on docsnipes.com.